Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? BBN, we're here for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Got all kind of stuff to talk about. March Madness, of course. We'll definitely get to the Cats in Greensboro and the tourney journey. We'll talk some football as well. We got AG, Aaron Gershon from the Cats Paws, thecatspaws.com. The former QB1, Jalen Whitlow, doing his thing for Coach Stoops when he first got in town. And we got a guest here joining us, wears multiple hats for the Believe Network, producing, hosting shows, talking NFL draft. He hosts the first team on Stadium. You can definitely watch that as well. Former long snapper for Rhode Island. We got Joe DeLeon, man. Joe, appreciate you hopping on here with us, man. Yeah, excited to to come on and talk uh, talk about this Kentucky draft for uh, for 2023. Appreciate having me on. Right, now's like the the calm before the storm a little bit, so I'm I'm trying to get as many uh as many media spots in as possible before for the uh you know everything starts to get pretty crazy in April. But uh, I'm excited though for March Madness too. I know that that Kentucky's hopes are are pretty high this year, and hopefully you guys make a make a decent run. Can't be worse than last year. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Been a roller coaster this year, but yeah, hopefully they can get get by providence and and maybe that'll spark them to to get a little run to finish the season on a on a positive note man <laughs> for sure for sure yeah and you guys aren't playing a 16 seed this year so that's uh that's maybe that'll motivate them yeah so. right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got the got the bryce hopkins angle you knew the ncaa was gonna do something i thought they're gonna put him against memphis so you could have cal versus memphis when when memphis popped up but you get Bryce Hopkins, who was there last year. Uh, so, you know, he's all motivated to to beat the team he transferred from. So uh, we'll see how it plays out Friday night. Man, Joe, we know, look, your expertise is everywhere. But uh, draft is coming up, like you just talked about before uh, we started recording. And just got to get your thoughts on that. You know, the, the combine, you know, Kentucky fans are excited to see where Will Levis is going to go because he's going to be – hearing his name called rather quickly. So uh, your thoughts on on Levis? I know you saw him play and, and, you know, year one versus year two, the whole dynamic with Will Levis. Yeah, I, I think that Will Levis is justifiably a, a very polarizing prospect. I think that he has a very – he's had a difficult road in the sense lately where he's done everything right. He's He's done everything well during the postseason process – but because the guy that he's competing with for the third quarterback spot in my eyes is an athletic freak, a guy that he actually beat this season in Anthony Richardson, it's a very tough uphill battle because a lot of the stuff that we talk about in the preseason for Will Levis, him having a big, massive arm, him being a really strong athlete, him being a good leader, all that stuff is awesome. And I think that that's why he was brought up early on as the third quarterback in this class. But as we're starting to realize Anthony Richardson has a lot of the same things. He apparently killed the interviews at the combine, which is a huge plus, but he's a little bit more explosive of an athlete. 
And he's also a lot younger. He's a couple of years younger. The 24 compared to 21 is significant in my eyes. But separate from that, I think that Will's a really, really strong prospect. I think that for me, he's got some some technical consistency issues. Uh, I know that his accuracy was better than Anthony Richardson's. But the decision-making for me at times is where I'm a little bit held up, why I can't put him above Richardson, why I keep him firmly at four. It's not that I think that he doesn't have the awareness or the decision-making to succeed. It's just there's a lot of times where I watched him these both of these past two years where he was a starter for Kentucky where he'd make a lot of good, really good throws, a lot of easy throws, and then he makes just a really questionable decision that leads to a pick or leads to a turnover. You're just thinking – what was going through his head there? And that stuff being correctable, those instincts could be a question mark, and it's a question mark for me. I think the other thing, too, when you've got a really big arm for a quarterback, it's sometimes these guys won't have an ability to adjust the speed of the ball. And I think that, that Levis at times is one of those guys who has got a cannon, but he just needs to know when to take a little bit off of it and to improve on that in that sense. But I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I think he might even be a, a top five pick based on the need at quarterback this year. Uh, and he could end up being a very nice starting quarterback in the NFL based on what a lot of things are people saying about him. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the point up actually about him kind of just taking things off a little bit because that was something I asked Mark Stoops about last year. And it's something that some of the receivers at Kentucky have talked about what they like with Devin Leary, the, you know, the NC State transfer that they brought in. But I do wonder when you watch him, my biggest I guess the thing I was most concerned about last year specifically, and obviously the offensive line played a factor in this, but he seemed to, the only big issue I had really was he held onto the ball way too long at times. And yeah. I think that was something that, that got him into trouble. But is that thing when, when scouts look at that, is that something they're going to see as fixable? Is that something they're to say, okay, you know, his offensive line was really rough and you know, the timing was just thrown off. Like how is that going to be evaluated when you, have to factor in that, you know, in 2021, he's playing behind three NFL offensive linemen, including an NFL starting center. And this year, you know, it was a total mess. Well, I, I would argue that if you're, if your offensive line's bad, you got to have a sped up mental clock that's of when you got to right. get the football out. So like that to me is, is something where I, I, I put the onus on him. I think that, that you need to be decisive as a quarterback. And what makes Bryce Young so good in this class is that, his reactiveness, his decision-making is, I think, heads above everybody else. And that's kind of part of the reason why I have a little bit pa little bit of pause on C.J. Stroud, who is like just a little bit behind Bryce in my quarterback rankings. But yeah, I think that holding the ball is certainly a concern for Will Levis. Like That's something that needs to be fixed. And we see different levels of that being corrected in the NFL. Like I think a really good example is, is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones came into the NFL in his first few years in the NFL held the ball way too long. And I'm a, I'm Giants, a Giants fan. Fan. I know. Yeah. We both know watching yep. him just stand no, there. there right. Yep. Hold the ball as long as he did. Oh, drives me nuts. It yep. was frustrating. And like that, a lot of people thought that wasn't fixable, but I don't even know if it's necessarily fixed yet. I just think that when you have a quarterback like that, you have to set them up for success where maybe you have to dumb down the decision-making if he can't figure that stuff out put in a little bit more uh, rushing plays like they did this year with Dave all where he was a little bit more willing to, to hand him the rock. I actually think that might be a comparable, a better comparable uh, comparison between him and Daniel Jones than the one between him and Josh Allen. The Josh yeah, Allen standard is yep. so hard to hit. It is so difficult to hit. And if anyone's closer to that, it's probably Anthony Richardson because Josh was hit or miss. It was either 
massive star or he was going to stink. I think with Will Levis, he might have a little bit of a higher floor, but I don't know if him if he's if it's going to be easier for him to get to his ceiling because at times, similar to the touch thing, the decision making aspect, he doesn't feel supernatural when he's playing the position, which is why I at times was frustrated with his evaluation. Yeah, I can agree with you on that last thing. I think, but when I look back at it, man, and you really kind of take a full scope of his career, he hadn't had that many snaps dropping back, passing the ball. Mm-hmm. If we're being honest now, if we're putting out there's yeah. guys who had less, but he hadn't had that many snaps. So my big thing was if you go back and watch 2021 and then you turn on the 22 tape, the biggest thing was the decision making. Uh, but it wasn't just the decision making. It was the punctuality when it comes to am I hitting my third step balls out or hitch ball out? You saw a lot more of that in 21. So that led me to believe, and we talked about this on here many times, but that led me to believe that there was a paralysis by analysis. And I thought it was the same thing from the OL uh, because they played extremely terrible at times. And that lead me, I mean, the talent is there. That leads me to believe that something isn't right up top, right? I always say the faster the mind is moving, the slower you're playing, right? Football is a reaction game. You should know it well enough. You should rep it uh, enough to where it's just reaction. So this guy goes this way, I react this way. This happens, I react this way. And it's almost like without even thinking. So I saw a lot of the wheels turning from not just Levis, but all of those guys. And we know at quarterback, if you're not, if, I mean, if your guy's not playing well up front, then there's no way in hell you're going to play well. So mm-hmm. um, I think uh, I do agree that head and shoulders, Bryce Young is the best quarterback that that's in the draft. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's a debate at this point, but I do think there's a case where uh, Will Levis could kind of move above CJ Stroud. And I say that because, this is a game now at two, in 2022 where you got to have you got to be a, a, a willing runner at times, even in the league. Um, and you don't see that a lot from CJ Stroud. Maybe Ohio State held him back, which I'm sure they did. But uh, I think Levis has a higher ceiling when it comes to just mobility uh, and making plays um, with his feet. So nobody in this draft is better than Anthony Richardson at that. But um I do believe that, you know, when you kind of put it all together, if he gets in the right situation, just like any of those guys, you put them in the right situation with the right guys around them, I think they can thrive. But if he goes into a normal high draft pick situation, I think it's going to be an uphill battle, at least at first, because I just think you're dealing with, you know, the best athletes on the planet and you're in a situation where you're not uh, you're not as is, you know, fit around you as you would like to be. So. Um, like you said, talent's there, the arm is there. Got to be able to be uh, a little bit more consistent with decision-making, but at the same time, I do take into account that they had issues going on that, you know, maybe the average person don't know about, you know, when it comes to just watching Kentucky film in 2022. I do definitely agree with you on the point that you made about him being more of a natural runner and decider, like someone who decides – more effectively when right. to run. That was my big problem with, with Stroud. And we, we actually got to see him do it in the Georgia game. And a lot of people use that Georgia game as a kind of a crutch for CJ's evaluation, because what are we just supposed to throw out all the other games he started in where he didn't choose to run and he sat there. And then when that first read didn't open up, he's just, he's that has no idea what to do with the football. So I totally agree with that. I think that why a lot of teams like Levis is to that point where, 
he's he kind of runs like a, a linebacker. You know, he's he's not afraid of contact. He he he'll tuck it and run if he's got to. And I think at the very least, if maybe he's kind of like Josh Allen and kind of like Daniel Jones, if things don't open up for him, you know that he can find those yards and he's willing to find those yards. The other thing I really definitely agree with you on is that I don't want to see him on a roster that expects him to start right away. Like even Josh Allen didn't start right off the bat. It wasn't until right. midway through the season. I think that, and especially as we're we're kind of talking about here, like that over analysis stuff, I also think that's a, a confidence issue for any football player that when you're overthinking stuff, like I remember even as a long snapper, whenever I had down spurts in my career, it was because I was overthinking things and that's a, lo- a lack of confidence. If he is dealing with that, he needs to go somewhere where he can regain that confidence and him stepping in to a situation like the Raiders. Actually, the Raiders might be a better opportunity because Jimmy G's there now, but if he ends up going somewhere that does not have a quarterback ahead of him, it could be really tough sledding for, for the first year and it might take him a while to regain that confidence. Kind of like what we saw with Daniel Jones, who's who's slowly starting to regain that confidence. Good stuff. Good stuff. And you are, a long snapper right former uri ram yes sir <laughs> man so um just just talk about that a little bit i mean i mean your your conference your games your you know what stood out is from your playing days too before we let you go yeah i being a former long snapper is it's really funny now working in the media because i i love to i like i it is evidence for me that i know the game and that i've been around the game but then at times like people will turn that go it's like oh you joe play college football you know what you're talking about but then whenever i'm in an argument where everyone's like you're wrong you have no idea what you're talking about it always gets brought up it's like oh you were just a long snapper you don't know what you're talking about which is which is always really funny to me and i'm and honestly sometimes i'm like you're kind of right i i didn't go to the same amount of meetings like I, i wasn't doing the same amount of stuff as other guys but um no but like being a long snapper i think it's just a very rewarding process and it it's really fun to me having played at the FCS level to watch back at how competitive the FCS can be. And we were talking about before we started taping, like knowing what the Montana state fan base is like, knowing what the South Dakota state fan base is like, knowing where these, these really excited fan bases at the FCS level is, is, is super fun. Uh, and then separate from that though, like I always just get a kick out of knowing what leads to special teams issues and being able to like pay attention to those things. Like we were also talking about how, Kentucky, no one's really brought up how this last year you guys had a lot of long snapper problems that led to a lot of issues. And that's something that so many people take for a like uh, um, at a discount and like don't really pay attention to. But when you don't have a good snapper, you don't have a good operation, that can really derail a team when your special team sucks. It can really derail a team uh, early on in a season. But uh, no, very thankful for my time playing at Rhode Island in the the Rams are trending up. We just had a kid who went to Oregon who, who entered the portal uh, who's going to be a very good player and a Johnny Cornelius. So I uh, enjoyed my time and, you know, just excited to, to be repping the Rams now in my uh, my future endeavors. Yeah, I, I think this might be one of the few times I've I've been asked about long snapping, by the way. So I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, man, it, I start on the bio. I said, whenever I get joined, got to have you talk about that, man, because it's there and that's, and that's, you know, everything else you're doing too, but I, hey, that's – that deserves some attention in, in my For sure. Sure. Uh, definitely appreciate you. Cause like I said, you do, you do tons of stuff. 
and you just finished the show and, and appreciate you hopping on this one. So don't want to keep you on here forever, but love to have you back again where you can chop it up and, 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 and dig into some more football talk because we'll be talking football, I mean, year round, you know, spring practice is kicking up and, and get you back on again and get some more insights from you, man. But appreciate you hopping on right here, right now. Talk a little draft, a little bit of Will Levis and, and all that good stuff with us. Of course, guys, really appreciate you having me on. And of course, right before the draft and or maybe even after, I'm always down to hop on and uh, chat a little bit more about the uh, the Kentucky guys and, and Will Levis. But uh, it really means a lot to have me on. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Bro. All right, man. Have a good one. Better guys. Take care. Leo, giving us a little insight in the field draft and analysis. Uh, does work for Stadium, does a lot of stuff for Believe. Had to ask him about it being a long snapper. Can't see that on a Twitter bio and not not get him to talk about it. So, yeah, appreciate you for hopping on here with us. Um, <clears throat> so, fellas, it's, it's March Madness time, too. You got any more thoughts, too, about before, uh, about, uh, you know, spring break, of course, for, mm-hmm. for the football team? But That's right. some more football thoughts to put a ribbon on it before we switch. Yeah, I, 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 I did like his point about, and I, I brought it up to him. First of all, I love that he's a Giants fan. And, Welcome, Darren Waller. Can't wait. Know that. Blue, Darren Waller, uh, one of my favorite players for years now. So that's pretty cool. I can't, anyway, I can't believe that happened. We give, yeah. I, I, it, it made my day yesterday. Let's just say I that. I not believe it. I was on a, I was, I was actually on a phone call with my brother, who's also a diehard Giants fan. I'm like, holy, you know what? <laughs> and he's like, what, what? And I'm like, Darren fucking Waller. But say, I'll delete that out. Sorry, but uh, anyway, um. With Will, though, the, it is interesting when I did bring that up to Mark last year, if they wanted him to take some touch off or put have some more touch, take a little zip off. And he pretty much said, no, like Will is who he is. We don't want him to change. And then you hear Dane Key and um, Barry on Brown kind of both talk about how they really like that. Devin Leary's ball has a lot more touch on it. So I did find that interesting and wonder, you know, if that's an adjustment he's working on this off season. And, you know, it did, definitely didn't show it at the pro day because he was throwing 59 miles an hour bullets. But, you know, <laughs> I do wonder if that's going to be uh, an adjustment. But, you know, I definitely – I can definitely see why the Anthony R- Richardson is so polarizing and a lot of people love him. But I still – I think I've said it on here before. I just would have loved to see him play one more year in college, whether that was at Florida – or somewhere else because I just think I think he only had 12 career starts and there were times you don't like that Tennessee game he threw you know people forget because they lost but he threw for 420 yards in that game and his only mistake was a pick at the end that was a kind of a Hail Mary so you kind of throw that one out and then you know Stroud I, I definitely see the the love with him I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft um but I do I do think there's a case for Will to be number two, if not at least three. But, you know, it's going to be really interesting on draft night, you know, if teams like like Joe was saying, really just value the athleticism, value the upside with Richardson, where I think he's a guy that's going to have to sit at least one, if not two years. Whereas Will, I think it could kind of be like a Josh Allen or Daniel Jones where he sits the first couple games of the year and he's in year one. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL teams look at it. Obviously with Carolina picking first, you know, CJ Shroud and Will Levis kind of fit the mold they're looking for more so uh, than uh, Richardson and Young. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Carolina does, you know, to start the draft. But um, he had, he did have some fair criticisms and points that were definitely frustrating, you know, the last two years and, you know, 
you would love to see cleaned up a little bit more in a Kentucky uniform, but you also see the upside and why I think he'll still be a top 10 pick. Yeah. Yep. What's that you, Jay? Yeah, man. I, uh, the, the whole, you know, take some off again. It That's one of those things where it's tough on quarterbacks to like, to, I mean, it's easy to say, but at the end of the day, if a right. guy, that's how he's wired. Right. Some guys are just wired that way, man. I got kids that I train and they just, they're not wired to put have a lot of touch on the ball. And it's just is what it is. So some throws are tougher for them, but you know, receivers are going to, they got to, you know, receivers, they want some touch on that thing. You know, they want, they want it catchable. You know, it could be a hard ball that's not a spiral and that's, you know, that's uncatchable. It could be a tough, a hard ball that's, that's a spiral, and it's still uncatchable because it's all about proximity. Where am I relative to the quarterback throwing the ball? And, you know, sometimes, and I always say this, when you're throwing the ball over the middle, the receiver's coming over the middle, sometimes the receiver don't see the ball until it clears the offensive and defensive alignment, right? Because those guys are 6'5", 6'6", beast in there, and they don't see it till it clears. So if it's, if it's a heat-seeking missile and they don't see that ball till it clears and they're only 5, 10 yards downfield, um, you know, reaction time, is a must. You got to, you got to be, it's a tough catch. So, you know, receivers definitely like touch. Um, and I get it, but at the end of the day, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's an asset and it is like everything, man. Some guys who have a great touch on the ball, they have not as strong as arms, so they can't throw those comebacks, those out routes, those, you know, digs down the middle, um, as good as Will Levis. So, you know, I think they'll, they'll iron that out. I don't think it's a huge issue personally. Um, but I do feel that if there's a quarterback that can slide down in the draft or at least go fourth out of the four that we've talked about, it's C.J. Stroud. And I say that because I, I believe that he's the most accurate quarterback from the pocket, personally. Yeah. I do believe that. But I also believe that, you know, he may get knocked a little bit when it comes to, um, you know, his willingness to – and it's not really just him, but his willingness to, you know, to be able to – win the game with his feet. That's going to happen. I mean, look, Jalen Hurts was in the Super Bowl this year. You got to sometimes win games with your feet. We we just talked about Daniel Jones, right? We talked about Josh Allen, right? We talked about these guys. You got to win games with your feet. And I think that's the reason why the 49ers don't have a Super Bowl in the past few years, because I don't think Garoppolo could do that. Um, you have, in this day and age, you got to be able to do that. I don't, th- you don't have to be Lamar Jackson, but you got to be able to win with your feet a little bit. Uh, I think that's a big deal. So now you're seeing quarterbacks that can do that are are, are being, uh, you know, uh, put in that position to, you know, lead a team. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think all you can make a case where you can drop all four of them. You can make a case where you can draft all four of them first. Uh, but I do believe just, you know, if you want to look at just body of work on the field, because I'm a big film guy, I got to go what I, what I see off the film. Anthony Richardson should be the last quarterback picked out of those four. Bryce yep. Young should be first. Off the film, C.J. Stroud should probably be second if we're talking about film from top to bottom. But obviously we know that there's more that goes into that, right? There's a lot of variables. There's situation on the team. What type of offense are we running? What type of guys we have around us, right? We we don't have a lot of receivers around us. We probably need a wheel levers, a bigger body who can run. You know, so it just depends. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see what happens. I think all four of those guys have really high ceilings. Uh, but a few of those guys definitely have lower floors uh, than others. Makes sense. 
Makes sense. A lot of y'all. Y'all dropping knowledge. And a little more than a month from now, we'll see what all these front office types were thinking and chewing on and <laughs> finally deciding to do, you know, like you said, you know, Chicago giving up the first pick and, you know, all kind of stuff's happening. The NFL side, free agency side, and all that kind of stuff. So it's fun. You know, we Giants got O'Kara K and Wally, Waller and all that. And we don't we don't need to get into all that. We can just <laughs> nah, they, they they may be my early pick to come out of the NFC, man. Uh, they're building something, man. Make it move. Hey, they're building but it, something. But it is it's still early, but man, they way early. That that move was big for me because I think I'm a guy who believed that he may be the best tight end in the league. Yeah, so at, at times, when he's you know, healthy. so yeah, when he's yeah, when, when he's, he's healthy, healthy. He, he's rolling, and that offense is moving. He is, you know, you can make an argument that he's the best in the league yeah. at what he does. So, and Brian Dable is the tight, you know, just like Mark Stoops is DB's coach at heart. Brian Dable's a tight ends coach. He was the coach with Gronk and all those guys in New England for a while. So, I'm definitely pretty jacked up about that one. And sounds like you know they're. In the wide receiver market, either DJ Chark or Miko Hardman both would excite me too. There, so uh, they're definitely taking it. They're definitely, uh, you know, when you go to the playoffs, <laughs> you got to take it to the next level. You can't just, you know, the rebuild expedites a little bit. So I'm glad they're not, you know, going crazy with the financials and blowing all the cap, but they're they're making the moves they need to be significantly better this year. Right. And speaking of. Jacked up. I guess you were jacked up. You didn't have to fly to this tournament game. You got to drive to Greensboro instead of going to Denver. Yeah. And, well, you won yeah. Denver, but Sacramento and Albany. And yeah, Albany. it was really just Sacramento. It was really just Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against the people of Sacramento. Just, you know, it, they play. They start playing tomorrow, so it would have been having to book a flight in 48 hours notice and getting all that together, so – yeah, I was I was relieved it was Greensboro. I did not expect to be, uh, you know, going to Greensboro, but I'll take it. And so far, so good here. So uh, hopefully, this will be the first stop uh, for a couple of weeks. But uh, who knows? Who knows with this team? Yeah, it's your first time in Greensboro. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the only places in Carolina, North Carolina, I've been before were I've been Charlotte and uh, Cary, which is in the uh, Raleigh area. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh... Kentucky Providence Friday seven ten roller coaster of a regular season. Uh, you, you, nobody could you know you're just so unpredictable. Yeah. I think I mean, look the losing South Carolina at home, sweet Tennessee. You know you you lose to Vanderbilt twice in ten days. Uh, get up on Vanderbilt. Heck, you were there. You up fourteen to four in Nashville. Oh, it's payback. Gonna get them back for winning in Rupp. And, you know, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt wasn't having it. You know, those guards got hot, got to the rim, got, you know, dribble drive kick for open threes, and they got rolling. And Kentucky couldn't stop them. So, you know, you you come off that high in Arkansas, and then, you know, oh, man, thought you'd come on. Yeah, the roller coaster continues. So, based on that, they gonna run uh, Providence out the gym then, you know. Basically, feels like they'll run Providence out the gym and then lose to Kansas State. It's it's just it's the highs and lows, man. It was that what was I think the most frustrating thing about uh, the SEC tournament game was um 
Vanderbilt had the same exact game plan. Like there was nothing they did differently from nine days earlier when they came in and, and beat you on senior night. You know, it was shoot a bunch of threes. It was get to the rim if you can, no mid-range, and pretty much on, on defense, really just hone in on Reeves, make life difficult on him, and bully Oscar a little bit. And, you know, they struggled with Oscar in Lexington, but I thought, you know, I think Oscar f- finished with 19-11, maybe something like that. But obviously you frustrated him to the point where he throws another elbow, which is a something that's a problem that, that's going on right now with him. Uh, and, you know, you get that flagrant foul when your lead I think was still six or seven and that kind of swung the momentum and then all of a sudden you look up at the scoreboard and Vanderbilt's finished the first half on a 12-0 run and then that bled a little bit into the second half so it it was very similar when you know Vanderbilt closed the first half of the game at Lexington I think on an 8-0 run and took a four-point lead in the halftime hit a buzzer beater in that one and they do the same exact thing and go up by five at halftime with a buzzer beater it was just eerily similar and you know to their credit I mean those guards, you know, uh, Ezra Manjone, um, Tyron Lawrence, Jordan Wright, they were just too much for Kentucky. And that I think it was a situation where I would have loved to have seen what they did in Arkansas, which was they go to that zone. And I think they kind of realized in that Arkansas game, okay, no severe, no case in. We got to slow down Anthony Black and Nick Smith somehow. Uh, they're better than our guards. So we're going to play zone and, you know, try to muddy it up, you know, at the top of the key and make them, you know, go to the corner where they're not a good three-point shooting team. And, you know, Vanderbilt was not a great three-point shooting team this season. And Ezra Manjohn hit four threes during the regular season and then comes to Nashville. And he's, you know, to his credit, he was make, he didn't just hit threes against Kentucky. He hit him against uh, LSU as well. And I think he might have hit a couple against um, A&M on Saturday too. So, it was the same game plan, and you know Jerry Stackhouse just outcoached Sean Cal Perry. I mean, there's no other way around it. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, Providence is not a good defensive team at all, but they are a very good offensive team, and they play. You know, they they want to come at you and score quick, and they want to kick it out and hit threes. And it's a it's not a similar. They don't have as good of guards as Vanderbilt, but you know we all know they have Bryce Hopkins. They have some good bigs who can also come out and shoot it from there. So. It's a very, very interesting matchup, to say the least. Sure. You think he'll he'll come out too jacked up to try to beat Kentucky, Jalen? I mean, you know, just right. from there, didn't get to play. He was fired up when the selection showed, you know, oh, Kentucky. Is he going to is he gonna be too amped? Is he going to ball out? How's, it, how's this going to go for him? Hey, this I thought about this. This remind me of I don't know if you, when I was at Eastern, uh, EKU played Kentucky, and we had two transfers from when I came in at Kentucky who went to Eastern Kentucky. Oh, that game uh, went to overtime. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I remember watching that game, and uh, Patrick Graffrey and uh, Deshaun Mobley was on that team. Definitely Patrick Graffrey. Deshaun maybe maybe uh, he maybe was a because he didn't wear a shirt, so he may. Got out of there the year before, but I never forget how animated Patrick Graffrey was when he got a chance because <laughs> he left Kentucky like on bad terms, right? And he was a huge D lineman, you know, played some three tech, played some DN a little bit, um, and he was like, I never forget, he made like a tackle for loss inside Kentucky's like five yard line, inside EKU's five yard line. Kentucky was going in to score, and he like really looked at the sideline, and you can tell it was like the the passion and the anger was coming from his soul. So uh, maybe that's what uh, maybe that's what uh, uh, Bryce would be feeling, you know. So I don't know, but you know, it, it definitely is a motivating factor. But at the end of the day, 
you still got to play the game. You still got to relax and execute. So uh, at the end of the day, man, I'm always going to feel the same way I feel about Kentucky. Now, my thing is if they can, like, if they can always, you know, hit the open shots, you're going to get open shots in today's game. You can hit your open shots. You got a chance. Now you can work inside out where you got a guy like Oscar and Providence don't have anybody down there that like that. Not like that, no. You got a matchup nightmare down there with Oscar. So just hit a couple open shots, open that thing up a little bit, and let let now play. You can play inside out a little bit. But now I do believe that Calipari kind of got to start mixing that thing up on defense. Uh, I'm a big believer in basketball of, you know, jumping into something different every now and then on defense and kind of coming back out of it, jumping into it again, maybe a couple possessions later. I do believe they got to kind of add some of that. Uh, he's a he's a NBA style of coach when it comes to like playing man man uh, you know man defense. But I think there's a there's merit to uh, changing it up and showing them something different, right? Like kind of like the Arkansas thing. So we'll see, man. You know, this is a game where you you got to win this game. You know, I think <laughs> I, I do believe I I believe that this is probably the most pressure he's felt in a while because you got to win this game. I mean, one doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, you if you this, if this game doesn't go the way, even if Kentucky you know barely squeaks by, it's not going to be pretty. Just win, you know. Th- yeah, th- this got to be a game where you know Kentucky's the better team and they proved it. I'm not saying you got to win by twenty, but you got to you got to know that you're the best team and you know and, and they got to show on the court, got to manifest itself on the hardwood. So, uh, like I said, there's a lot of pressure on coach. Uh, I do believe so because hard. this. Yeah. Yeah, this is a lot of. I mean, you gotta you gotta win this game. You everybody knows that you have the best players, and that's when coaches feel the most pressure. When you when your players are better than the team that you're playing, that's when it the it, it comes back on the coach. Now, when you play a team that's better than you, now as a coach you can relax because now you know you you juiced your players up with confidence. Now you know we don't supposed to win anyway. Let's just play balls to the wall. Let's let them hang. But when a team when you're better than that team naturally you're going to be the most tight team. Now you you got to preach to them like we can't be tight, play loose, have fun, that type of thing. But naturally Kentucky's going to be the most tight team because Providence don't supposed to win. You're playing, right. a, you're playing a blue blood. So that's always the scariest thing. We talk about Cinderella's. That's why Cinderella's happen because teams play, they play super tight and the team that doesn't supposed to win, they, this is what they dream of, you know, playing a blue blood in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, We'll see what happened, man. Hopefully they can come out and just play loose and just play ball. Hit a couple shots. You know, just play play loose, right? Let let your matchups kind of take over the game. We got a big matchup, you know, in the paint. Uh, let that let that thing take over. And yeah. it's just kind of how I feel about it. It was gonna be pressure regardless to to get the taste of last year out of your mouth, and then you just add in this Hopkins revenge angle and if as if there couldn't be more pressure then here's some more you know and two things they're not just it's not just the pressure of last year it's the pressure of they haven't won an ncaa tournament game since march of 2019 i mean they're this if they lose this game put in perspective here if they lose this game on thursday an entire class of UK students will have gone without seeing an NCAA tournament win in their four years. I don't know if that's ever happened. I mean, I have, I'd have to do more research, but I mean, I think when I was in school, they won, I think four games and that feels pretty low. (laughs) That feels pretty low that they won four total in my years. So 
it's just that's one that's another aspect and two like Jalen said about some of the guys you know who transferred over to EKU Bryce Hopkins didn't leave on great terms here either and he kind of went public about the fact that you know he feels like he's free at Providence he feels like he can be himself and I think part of that is one you know they're playing him in the right position you know at Kentucky they were trying to play him when they did was at the three and his natural spot is clearly the four he's proved that this year and two I mean there were just times last year and Cal does this with some young guys. And I think now with the transfer portal, they're going to leave at a higher rate. They'll come in, they'll make one mistake. They'll get yanked. Cal's not going to let you play through it, especially if it's on defense. He's going to let you take a, a, he's going to let you take a bad shot and miss it before he's going to let you get beat on defense, get beat back to war, miss an assignment, whatever. So I think, you know, that doesn't always rub guys the right way. And now with that transfer portal, especially a guy like Bryce Hopkins, who was highly sought after when he was a high school recruit, you know, guys are going to hit the exit. So and I'm sure we'll have a couple of those, you know, whenever this season ends. So there's a lot of pressure on Cal with the Bryce Hopkins angel angle. There's a lot of pressure on Cal because he hasn't led this program to an NCAA tournament win in a while. And, you know, we've seen it with this year's group, man it bleeds into the team sometimes. And, you know, there are guys who are freshmen. There are guys who weren't on this team last year, who, like Antonio Reeves, who were transfers, and they have nothing to do uh, with the failures of the last couple of seasons. But that pressure bleeds to them because at the end of the day, they want to win it for this fan base. They want to win it for themselves. I mean, they just want to win. That's how these guys, these athletes are wired pretty much at any level. No one wants to lose. So, uh, there's going to be for Providence. They're coming in. I won't say house money because they're they're in the tournament every year. You know they have some expectations of their own. But if they lose, no one's going to talk about Providence, man. <laughs> if the, everyone's going to be talking about, okay, how's Kentucky going to do against Kansas State? You know, are they going to get to New York next week? So it's just the pressure is all on Kentucky side. But the other thing that might play into their hands is if this Ed Cooley stuff is real and the smoke with Georgetown, will that will that bleed into his team maybe and distract them? Usually that doesn't go over well. So there is that angle, but for the most part, man, the pressure is definitely more so on Kentucky than Providence. And just we saw how it was last year when with St. Peter's, it was totally house money. I, I grew up an hour from St. Peter's. I didn't even know what the hell that school was until I saw it on the bracket. So yeah. It's gonna be interesting, man. I think I think the the student thing puts it all in perspective, right? You know, because I can't imagine being a student at Kentucky for four years. <laughs> I mean that 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 again the pressures the pressures on Cal. I mean he it, yeah, it is what mostly. it is. I mean because that that's that's unacceptable from a Kentucky fan standpoint. Um, even though obviously we know that. You know, you're not going to win it every year. You're not going to, you know, but four years in a row with no SEC tournament win, that that's, you know, that's one of those things that nobody would ever think. I mean, let's call a space space. Students go to Kentucky for Kentucky basketball. I mean, just just like they go to Alabama for Alabama football. It is what it is. You know, students come all across the country. I got a good friend that I met. She's from California. She was at Kentucky when I was at Kentucky. She's from she's came from Sacramento, California and went to the University of Kentucky. I asked her why. She was like, I don't know. It's just, you know, it just looked fun. And it looked fun because she saw it on TV. Sure. And she saw it in the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah. So uh, that's you know. So again, it, it's uh, you know the pressure's on. So hopefully they don't play into it. Hopefully uh, the players don't feel it. Uh, the coaches can feel it, but if the coaches feel it, the, co- the players feel it because they're gonna you know that's just how it works. But uh, hopefully they just you know let them hang and play loose, man. So how healthy or banged up are we? I mean, severe practice the other day. Not only no. I mean, case of sounds, it sounds like, you know, the plan is – it sounds like they're going to have a full team. It's a matter of, you know – my thing with Severe, man, is he hasn't played since, I, I think, February 4th. Yeah, February 4th against Florida. So that, you know, we're talking about over a month here. You you don't – this is not a game to ease back into it and, you know, play five minutes. And you, you got to be able to give some quality minutes here. And that's why, you know – I really like CJ Frederick. I feel horrible this season hasn't gone as planned, but the dude's having trouble. He's telling you he's having trouble breathing. He should, he just can't be out there. It's just not every time he's out there, he's a liability and that's not even his own fault, man. I mean, it's a, it's a sucky circumstance that he got cracked his ribs running into a camera, but he's hurting the team. It, It just is what it is. So I think, you know, I I did kind of like to a degree liked what Cal said about you know we all have to practice all four days this week you know there can't be just watching film and playing you know we got to hit the court and I agree with that I don't necessarily agree with an ultimatum about starting but that's a you know whatever <laughs> if severe wheelers I just don't do it if he's not a hundred percent I don't go with Wheeler I I play Kaysen you know I, I really don't mess with CJ unless he. He is feeling better this week, but, you know, he even admitted it's probably not something until he has a few months off that's going to heal up. And then, you know, Jacob Toppin, Cal claims he's hurt. Toppin said he's not. Who the hell knows? I think he's fine. So I probably roll with the same five you started with, you know, before Kaysen got hurt of the Arkansas game that was working. You know, I think it's it would be Kaysen, Antonio, Livingston, uh, Shibway and then Toppin. Those are the guys I'd start with and go from there and just be picky, man. Be picky with Wheeler and Frederick. Do, do not rush it. And two other things. You've got to give guys like Damian Collins a chance, a real chance, I, I think, over hmm. over severe. It might not be like Damian Collins comes in and makes some spark plays. I'm not saying you should be playing eight to 10 minutes, maybe just five to six, but he's a guy I think you prioritize before him. Um, In this matchup, man, it might sound crazy. I would even throw Ghana and Nessu out before I would throw out severe Wheeler just because of his size and ability to block shots, especially if you got crazy and actually played a zone. So uh, I don't know what, what Cal's thinking with these injuries. It's going to be interesting. And also the second thing I want to bring up is they got to get, I remember when Chris Livingston, it was like, oh, my God, he's going to be a lottery pick. What? I don't know. He's vanished the last couple of games, so they got to get some more out of him, too. So there's a lot of questions with this team, man, but it feels like every time we're asking these questions, they go out and win a game. So maybe maybe that trend will continue, but it is the hardest UK team to predict. Yeah, because he, he harped on the all-hands-on-deck kind of mantra in the college yes. show, like you said, um, the yeah, I mean, look, he's a Hall of Fame coach. We, I mean, you know, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. But the sure. I need to play such and such more with with Collins, 
said the same thing about Hopkins last year for several games where after that LSU game, got to play Bryce, got to play Bryce, didn't play him, got to play Collins, got to play Collins. But play him. Put it, put him out there. Put it. Put him out there, and then instead of saying I would have, should have, wish I had a, just throw him out there. And to your point, sometimes let let dudes play. You can't do it now. I mean, but in the in the regular season, you know, at Mississippi State or South Carolina at home, <laughs> play some of these dudes. Throw them mm-hmm. out there and see what you got. I, I know he's all about the shorter rotation, and but. Depth can be an advantage if you utilize it. You know, you can come at your opponent in waves and, you know, but look, he's, we know how he does it. And, you know, they have been banged up, but, you know, throw them out there at at some different point in time. And that way you don't have to say, well, I need to do it. Just just do it. You control it. You don't want to look at the pointed dudes, point at him and put him in. Oh God! Yeah, when he does the, I should have done it thing. I, I I just can't imagine Mark Stoops coming out to a press conference and saying, "Yeah, I should have probably." I mean, I guess he has done that, but not fourth downs are different. But more so, like, yeah, you know, I probably should have started my injured court. Like, if he came out after the South Carolina game and said, "Yeah, I probably should have played Will today," and you know, gone with him, even though he's hurt, like, I, the reaction would have been insane. So it, it's just, I don't know, man. He is. Cal's different. He's just different than any other coach in the country. And sometimes that's for better. And other times it, it gets him hurt. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, we got y'all's, y'all's brackets. Y'all filled one out. Jalen Jalen yes. said one before we recorded. See? <laughs> it de- he, we know where his allegiance lies. I got a... Um... I got three SEC teams in the final four, man. Whoa. So, yeah, man. It just uh, means more. Yeah. So, I, you know, I I, I think the only – trying to think who I had. Maybe it was Houston was the only SEC team that went in the final four. I think I had Bama. I have Bama too. Uh, yeah, I had, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was Houston. That was the only SEC team. But, I, you know, of course I'm biased, man. I – I grew up in SEC country. You know, that's all I watched on Saturdays uh, was SEC ball. It was almost like sacrilegious to turn on any other conference. Uh, so, unless it was a bowl game. But, yeah, you know, I do think Bama is going to be extremely hard to beat for anybody, though. Uh, I think just their, you know, their length and their talent, um, their speed is just hard to overcome. Now, you can beat them uh, – you know, at the end of the day, this is all about who gets hot at the right time. You know what I'm saying? The best teams don't always win. It's about who who's hot at the right time. I liken this to baseball, right? This is the closest thing to baseball because, it, you know, you could be a middle-of-the-pack team and win a championship in baseball as long as you're hot at the right time and you're, your best guys are playing their best ball at the right time. So I think that's what it is. So we may see a weird tournament this year where somebody who we don't expect to even win it, win it, but it's hard to say that because – I don't know who, you know, everybody's kind of in that same level to me, mm-hmm. uh, except for a couple, you know. Um, so I think, uh, I think you know, you got teams like 
Purdue, who is a number one seed, who can potentially Very win it. Balanced. Yeah, but I do think they're going to get ran out the court by somebody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgot who I had them. I forgot who I had. I think they're going to get, and I think it's going to be who they, I forgot who it was. It's either F, I, whoever wins that FAU Memphis game is beaten. Purdue. Yeah, that's what it is. And I think Memphis could potentially like almost blow Purdue out. Yeah. I think both of the, I think both, I've watched a lot of FAU because my brother goes there. Okay. Both of those Great teams place. could blow Purdue out. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and I think, I think Memphis is so high right now. They're playing with so much confidence. They're going to be tough to beat, man. And I think, yeah. The style difference between Purdue and, and Memphis, I don't think if if Memphis wins, it's going to be like a 12-plus point deficit or yeah. a victory. If Purdue wins, they're going to beat Memphis by like seven. By two. Or, yeah. 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 Some some kind of close is going to be some fouls at the end where they hit free throws and end up beating by eight or something like that. So uh, I think it can go like that, man, because I, <laughs> I think Memphis is one of those teams that can beat anybody. And right. I do think – Purdue is one of those teams that is really, really uh, like fundamental, you know, technically sound and, you know, really, you know, basketball savvy team. But, you know, that's a team that can win it all. But that's a team that can also get just kind of like ran out of the building Uh, because I I just think their style, you know, if they get down or if they get in a situation where a team is just, you know, playing fast and they speed them up, I think, you know, it's kind of like football. I think, you know, you can be in trouble when Tennessee or Ole Miss get going, you know, with that speed on offense. It's the same thing how I think about, uh, you know, Memphis and Purdue or, you know, something like that. So we'll see what happens. Um, I do think it's going to be quite a few blowouts in this tournament, though. Yeah. I think you got a lot of mismatches. Even in like the, I was breaking down the sweet, the potential Sweet 16, there's going to be some mismatches, man, because uh, I think some teams are going to get upset that they're going to run into a buzzsaw. Yeah, like, I, I mean, you know, and it's just going to happen. Even I was looking, there's one interesting one, like Charleston. I like Charleston beat San Diego State. I think Chalk holds and Virginia can, can get through Furman and, and then to that elite uh, Sweet 16. But Virginia against Alabama, Virginia, who scores like 58 points a game, they play killer defense. But you got Alabama, who just the offense is a juggernaut. Like uh, Alabama could beat Virginia by 30. Easy. Like in their sleep. So. I mean, like that region, man, I mean, the South, I just feel like is just set up so well for Bama. That's why I like them out of that one. I think the West is probably the strongest region. Just, you know, you look at the top right there, Kansas, Arkansas, Illinois are all pretty good. UCLA is good. Gonzaga's got a great offense. UConn's really good. So that one's probably the toughest region. I'd say the Midwest is probably the hardest to predict because there's just no one that, like, stands out to you as great but there's no one like awful um either obviously no team left is awful but just no one that you feel like can get run off the court uh as you would in other ones and then the east man is just that's the one where i don't buy purdue i've never buy purdue especially not this year when it's zach easy or bust with them i don't buy marquette either because they can't rebound they rank 318th in the country in rebounding i don't buy kentucky because they're inconsistent as all hell so our listeners are going to hate this I think if Duke gets by Oral Roberts, they're on their way to the Final Four. The way they're playing right now, they're playing as good as anyone in the country right now. They mm-hmm. ran through that ACC tournament. Tennessee's not going to have Zakai Ziegler. I think they'll get by them, you know, assuming Chalk holds and Tennessee beats Louisiana. I think Memphis are, you know, were, FAU are dangerous, but 
that magic usually runs out by the Sweet 16. And then, I don't know, who, who are you going to face in the Elite Eight? Marquette, Michigan State, Kentucky? I just – I don't think Duke loses to any of those teams. So Duke is kind of my bold final four prediction where I kind of have some boring ones on the other regions, but that's the one. The East is going to be the most interesting and I think highest seed winner. Whereas the other ones, I think you're going to have some good games, but like Jalen said, there could be some blowouts and some teams that probably most people would predict to get to the final four. I think that thing is, I agree with you hundred percent. And I think, uh, like I said, Duke is probably the hottest team in the country. If not, if not, you know, top two, you know, I, you know, yeah, uh, they're up there. They're playing well. Um, but the thing is so set up. I mean, man, you got Alabama players. They can sleep in their dorms. I mean, they play in Birmingham. That's 45 yeah. minutes down the road. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's just a very comfortable situation. But it's also it also can set them up, man. You know, it can set them smooth up for a big upset. So we'll see. Uh, I, this is this is my favorite time of the year when it comes to sports, especially once that thing gets down to like the Sweet Sixteen. Um, I can't get enough of it, you know. I and and I don't. I'm not a basketball watcher all year. I don't watch basketball all year, but when it comes down to the NCAA tournament, I almost I almost rather watch this than like you know bowl game, bowl season, oh. you know football. I just love NCAA tournament. I grew up yeah. watching it. I remember it always fail. SEC tournament, the conference tournaments always failed when it was time for us to play like a, a championship game and we're growing up in basketball. So, you know, it it, it kind of times out where it just is just very memorable. So uh, I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. I think Kentucky, I got Kentucky making a run. Um, but again, I'm, I'm biased. I'm biased with, with the SEC. So I think if they, if they, they can play up to their potential, they can they can stretch it out and 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 travel and play some games, but they're gonna need they're gonna need some they're gonna need you know to be on their p's and q's with everybody, uh, in particular you know shooting the freaking basketball they gotta make shots. Yeah, so we get it going for real tomorrow. Uh, last time I looked, I hadn't I don't know what Nevada were doing their playing in. Fairly Dickinson was. Punching their ticket to play Purdue, and then you had the second playing game going on, and it's at a commercial. Yeah, right Nevada now. and uh, Arizona State was the second one. It's mm-hmm. on the TV behind me right now, but I haven't even looked at it. <laughs> yeah. So, wall to wall, noon to midnight Thursday, noon to midnight Friday. I hate that we have an immediate day in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's messing up your wall to wall. Flow tomorrow. Everybody taking days off to get out of work just to, you know, or yeah. get the laptop in your office or whatever you're doing. I should love some TVs going. Yeah, it's that time. So we'll be back next week. We'll see if AG is going to a new destination after, you know, Kentucky winning two games. Or we'll Hopefully see. I'm going back home again. Yeah. We'll back home to New York. That's the plan. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back with that. We'll be back with news and notes as spring practice resumes. We'll, you know, keep it here, believe in Kentucky. You know, AG covering both teams. Jalen, the former player perspective. And we're bringing it to you each and every week on Believe in Kentucky. So, man, stay safe down there. Enjoy Greensboro. See the sights and check that city off your list. Uh, yeah. 
training the kids goes good, Jalen, with the coaching. And Appreciate it, man. It has a safe week. Appreciate everybody that listens, not only here in the States, but globally, people outside of the country take time to listen to this podcast. Several different countries have checked in to see what we're talking about. So we appreciate that as well. And look, for Taylor Whitlow, Aaron Gershaw, my name is Vinny Hardy. We'll be back next week on Believe in Kentucky. So y'all hop in and join us then. We'll see y'all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube